0: Praise God. How is everyone doing today? I pray that you have had an amazing service so far, spending some time with Pastor Vaz, spending some time in worship with Pastor Amanda. But most of all, I just want to say welcome. Thank you for being here. My name is Daylight. Uh, I sit on the lead team here at God Squad Church, and I have the privilege and honor of being with you today. And I am so excited for what God has in store. This is going to be an interesting one. You know, I. I I don't have any other way to put it. It's going to be an interesting one. And So today's uh, title, uh, uh, the title of today's sermon is Battle Plans. How many people like war movies? All right. Put some emotes in the chat. Spam it. If you're on YouTube, put some comments down there. Name your favorite war movie. Go for it now. Um, Battles are a weird thing, right? And often, like, they're weird because the good side is the side that you're on, right? Like, from the perspective of someone that's in the war, the good side is the side that you're fighting for, and the other person is the enemy. The other person is the the bad one. But... No matter what, when you pull back and you take a look down on the battlefield, and you're not a part of either side, there's usually a pretty effective truth that runs. That like someone could step back and be like, well, this battle shouldn't be one. That person shouldn't have invaded that person's land or that person shouldn't have went to war because of X, Y, Z. And we can kind of really see it from an outside perspective. Of, and history alone, like when we read history books, like there's always like the good guy, even if they lost. And there's always the bad guy. But when you're in the battle, I don't think that we can recognize always our part. That we can recognize... That maybe we're we're on the wrong side. Or maybe we're on the right side. And I, I guess that's the hope for many of us. And the reason I'm talking about that today is because today we're talking about the battle for your soul, really. The battle of, in which wages for you as a human being. The battle that's been waging since Adam and Eve ate from the forbidden fruit of good and evil. Right? Since sin entered the world. And... Really, it even happened before that because there was a story in the Bible where basically one of the angels wanted to become God and he deceived one-third of heaven, other angels, to also seek the power that was God's alone. And they fell. And that happened before sin technically ever entered the world. There was a tempter Right, There was someone trying to tempt us to sin. And I don't think that those angels knew what they were getting themselves into. I don't think that they realized until it was too late. They didn't realize the temptation that they were falling under until it's too late. But I digress. Battles are an interesting situation. Like looking down from the from like uh, over a battlefield. I, I don't know. I've been obsessed with certain kinds of games in my life and certain kind of like board games that have to do with like grand battles. Right. Like one of my favorite. Like when I went to the ultimate nerddom. All right. This is like ultimate nerd. And like I, I, anybody in the chat can can attest. If you're into tabletop war games, you are the ultimate nerd. You are. You have won the crown. And I am that guy, all right? I got there, okay, guys? You know, I I journeyed through. I started with, like, playing Pokemon and, like, playing some video games. And it just kept going. And eventually, I grew to the epitome of my nerddom. And if you play tabletop war games, you're the best. We're the kings of the nerds, all right? And so I love them, though, the deep strategy, watching a battle wage on and and seeing what could have been done better and, and how it maneuvers and It just captivated my attention. And there's a battle going on for your soul. There's a battle going on for the intricacy of where you're going to place, really, better yet, who you're going to place as your God. How do you battle an enemy that is clever, that hides in plain sight and that would love to see you utterly destroyed and will use any means necessary? There is no rules of engagement with the enemy we fight against. Because he'll go to any length to have you. My hope is by the end of this message is that you found some clarity around the subject of demons in contrast to the power of God. Now, there's some warnings I'm going to give you. There is no reason to be obsessed with the ideas or the understanding of demons. Honestly, it should not take up your time. But I do think that you have to have a base knowledge to understand the scriptures in the Bible. You have to understand what is happening so that you can understand the word of God in a more clear way. And so as as we're going through this, I, I hope that you gain clarity for that and that you gain an understanding that there is an option in this life that lives in diametric opposition to each other. And it comes down to who you serve, where your allegiance is. And lastly, I want to give you the gear, the equipment to face that battle well. Now, this sermon <laughs> in homage to one of my one of my um mentors in life. He says it this way. This sermon is for believing believers. And what I mean by that is we're going to be talking about things like the supernatural. We're going to be talking about things that are hard to understand. If you're skeptical, they're hard to understand if you're blind to the fact that we live in a physical world that also has supernatural things happening in an invisible world place. It's hard. It's difficult to understand, but that's what we're going to be talking about today. So today's sermon is for believing believers. (laughs) And I know that that's a funny way to say it, but that's the best way that I can surmise it. But I want to give you this gear and this equipment because it matters. We've all played World of Warcraft soon. You know, if you've already, if you bought the, 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 the high the high pack the 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 medium or, or best pack you already have access to a very gear driven game called maybe diablo four anybody if you already have access to that game you understand that in in that game There's equipment you're looking for, right? You're looking really for specific colors. Put the colors in the chat if you know what I'm talking about. You're looking for gear to make your stats better. You're looking for gear so that you can become more powerful, right? So that you can conquer the enemies that lie ahead. And the interesting thing in the Diablo games is, like I played a lot of Diablo 2 back in the day, and I'm not gonna lie to you, I have a pretty bad memory, but we used to do Diablo runs right? Where you're just running against the devil over and over again. You're just trying to beat him over and over again to get better gear. And I remember a couple items being like insane and I'm not going to remember what they are because I'm a noob, but I think one was a staff. And I really do want to stick by that. And so what you understand though, is when you run into Diablo, you're looking for gear, you're looking for equipment to make your character better so he can be resistant against the things that are going to come against you. So, another hope of this sermon today is that you leave this sermon with the ability to be. I can't put the equipment on for you. I can't control you. I can't walk over and pick it up off the ground like that topaz, that flawed gem. I can't do it for you. You have to do it yourself. But I do want to give you the equipment that you need in order to prevail against the enemy, against a real enemy that isn't in pixel form. Many of you in World of Warcraft would understand this reference pretty easily. Like you're looking for your glaives. You know, you're looking for the weapons and the armor that are going to allow you to have that eye level that is just, mm, that eye level will help you get those, those, those pushing keys type of gear that world's first type of gear. And as we dive deeper into this sermon, I want that to be the reality of your IRL person. I want that to be able to be your reality. Before we start, we got to get a little history. We have to have a little bit of an understanding of what I'm talking about and, and what it means, what it looks like. Because without that, you're going to be a little lost. So, what are demons? Demons are fallen angels. They're created by God by a choice. Uh, They were created by God. Angels are created by God. But they had one choice. And that choice was to be with him or without him. There is no redemption for angels. Period. That's what separates us from angels. We have the ability to be redeemed after we make a choice that is against God. Angels do not. Which... There is the, the entire story of the prodigal son and the return and how beautiful that is. Well, angels don't have that story because that's not what they were created for. They were created and intended for a very distinct purpose. And that was to glorify and worship God continually. That's why they were created. Well, demons said, deceived by the devil, Satan. They said, you know what? I want to actually, I want his, I want his role. And they looked and pointed at God and said, I want to be him. And boom, they made their choice, cast it out of heaven. Now, the Bible warns of Satan's grave threat to humanity by referring to him as the God of this age. You can see that in 2 Corinthians 4.4. It says, who prowls the earth looking for someone to devour. That's in 1 Peter 5.8. Demons are no less dangerous as the Bible describes them as. Impure spirits, in Mark one twenty seven, Deceiving spirits, in 1 Kings 22.23. The powers of this dark world, is another way they're described. And the spiritual forces of evil, and you can see that in Ephesians 6.12. They're also referred to as Satan, Satan's angels. In Revelation twelve nine, I don't know about you, but I feel I feel like they made a mistake. <laughs> they traded in being an angel of God to an angel of a snake, like uh, of, a, of a cursed being, of a tempter, like. I don't know what they were thinking, but that's the choice they made. So you have to understand all of that to understand what we're going to jump into. The Bible tells us that Satan and his demons can inflict harm on earth by possessing people to cause them physical and spiritual harm. We see that in Matthew 12, 22 and Mark 5, 1 through 20. And to make them do evil. You can see that in Luke 22, 3 through 4. Binding the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel is another way that they can inflict harm. They deceive people by disguising disguising themselves as servants of righteousness, promoting false doctrine, and performing signs to deceive humans, and also by tormenting believers. You can see that in 2 Corinthians 12.7. If anybody's interested in my notes or having those scripture references available, I would happily give them to you. Just send me a message on Discord. Now we're going to jump into the meat of what we're talking about today. I know, a lot of for you had to know that stuff. You have to understand the, the 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 position of these things in the world and why they matter to you as a Christian or someone seeking Jesus or trying to understand better Christianity and what following God is like. Luke 8:26 through 39 is going to be our main text today. I'm going to read the entirety of the text and then we're going to break it down. We're going to do a little breakdown starts off, then they sailed to the region of Gerasenes, which is opposite of Galilee. This happened right after a huge storm where Jesus basically was like, yo, apostles, you need to get your faith up. <laughs> and then they land on the shore and then they walk into Gerasenes, which is opposite of Galilee. And when he got out on land, a demon possessed man from town met him. For a long time, he had worn no clothes and did not stay in a house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and said in a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was guarded, bound by chains and shackles, he would snap the restraints and be driven by the demon. It into deserted places. In verse 30, it says, what is your name? Jesus asked him. Legion, he said, because many demons had entered him, entered him. And they begged him not to banish them to the abyss. A large herd of pigs was there feeding on the hillside. The demons begged him to permit them to enter the pigs. And he gave them permission. The demons came out of the man and entered the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the men who tended them saw what had happened, they ran off and reported it in town and in the countryside. And there's verse 35. Then people went out to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and found the man the demons had departed from sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. We'll get back to that. And they were afraid. We'll also get back to that. Meanwhile, the eyewitnesses reported to them how the demon-possessed man was delivered. Then all the people of the Gerasene region asked him to leave them because they were gripped by great fear. So getting into the boat, he returned. The man from whom the demons had departed begged him earnestly to be with him. But he sent... Him away and said, Go back to your home and tell all that God has done for you. And off he went, proclaiming throughout the town how much Jesus had done for him. Anybody when they're reading the Bible ever hear sound effects like in their head? Maybe it's just me when I read, but I swear, like, like when it says go back home, it's a, and he went off, and all I he hear is like the like his little feet are running and scuffling off. I don't know. Weird. Okay. Anyway, demons driven out of Jesus in verse 26. Then they sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When he got out on the land, a demon-possessed man from town met him. For a long time he had worn no clothes and did not stay in a house but in the tombs. This dude was troubled. All right, let's just break it down straight up. This guy is off his off the beaten path, man. He is cuckoo. <laughs> He's living where the dead live, first of all, which no normal human would do. And this isn't like our graves today where it's like. I don't know how I don't want to say that. This place would have been stinking. It, 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 would, have, it would have been a bad place to be. You wouldn't want to have been around here. It just would not have been ideal. It was oftentimes. Carts of people waiting to be buried and they would start to decay. This is not the place that people wanted to be. What I find funny in this is the fact that it says for a long time, he had worn no clothes. My man was just out here, butt naked. I'm gonna be honest with you guys. He was out here. <laughs> which was weird, which is still weird today because decency still lives in the mind of many. Now, for some people, it might not be true, and maybe they're like the demon possessed. I'm just kidding. But the truth of the matter is he was wearing no clothes. He was living in a place that was death and destruction, and he had been possessed for a long time. What I really want to point out in this is when it says, when he got out on land, a demon possessed man from town met him. I don't believe that's by happen chance. I don't believe that Jesus pulls up the boat. Jesus gets out onto the land and this guy just happened to be there. First of all, because the tombs where this man resided, wouldn't have been on the beach. They wouldn't have been on the coast because of rising tides and so on and so forth they would have been probably in an upper place. So I don't think that this man was there by accident. I think he was led to that place either by the drawing of the Holy Spirit or like a horse bridled by a jockey led there to get ahead of Jesus by the demons that were living inside. Jesus wasn't looking for evil. He didn't go searching it out. It came to him. There is a spiritual realm and there is a very, very real evil that seeks to destroy you. You might not go looking for a fight, But I can guarantee you at some point, one will come your way. Especially if you're useful in kingdom-building work. Especially if you are in the good fight as a Christ follower, attempting to see people go to heaven. I do believe with my whole heart that battle and trouble will come your way. I've heard it said this way by a preacher somewhere along the lines. But he said, I would be quite disturbed if my life never had any battles to fight. If I was never being tempted by evil. Because what that probably means is that you're probably doing useless work anyway. think of it from from a strategy point of view if if there's a, on a chessboard a pawn that's not doing anything laying off to the side really kind of useless to the game maybe a little bit because it's just not on the side where the king and the queen are where things are being attacked where the battle is waging on it's just off to the side it's there it's technically still a pawn it's it's technically in the battle but it doesn't have any use well you're not going to go out of your way to move against it. There's no reason to. And so my guess is from the the perspective of the devil is that I'm just going to leave that thing alone. It's, It's pretty useless. It's not doing anything effective anyway. But now if that queen is in the middle of the board, Every good chess player knows I'm trying to trap that thing. Because it's a powerful piece that's moving in the middle of the board, in the middle of the battle. It matters. And so I might want to take care of it. Jesus wasn't looking for evil, but it came and found him. The thing is, is he possessed the power to deal with. he possessed the power to deal with a situation that he did not go looking for. The same power that lives in Jesus, lives in every single person that call him Lord, that call him God, that surrender to him. You have the same power living in you that is present in Jesus. You might not be looking for the battle, but when the battle comes, you need to be ready. Verse 28, when he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him and said in a loud voice, what do you have to do with me? Jesus, son of the most high God, I beg you, don't torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him. And though he was guarded, bound by chains and shackles, he would snap the restraints and be given and driven by the demon into deserted places. It also says in Mark 5.5, that night and day among the tombs, if you don't understand, this is in Luke, there's another book in the Bible called Mark, the Synoptic Gospels, which means they're written about the story of Jesus from different perspectives. And so this is an excerpt from Mark. Mark 5.5, it says, night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, He was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. So all of this is happening. He said in a loud voice as Jesus came out onto the shore, what do you have to do with me? And the demon does something very, very interesting here. It professes knowledge that this is Jesus, son of the most high God. He didn't just say Jesus. He didn't say Jesus, the Nazarene, Jesus, the carpenter. No, he says Jesus, the son of the most high God. He understood Jesus's place. He had a very distinct knowledge of who Jesus was. And Christian, this is important for you to understand because you can know who Jesus is and still not serve him. The Bible literally says that the principalities of darkness know his name. They know his words. But they do not serve him. Your knowledge will not get you to heaven. A Christian means a Christ follower. It means we have to be following along. See, I can witness Pastor Boz's journey with Jesus. I can watch him following Jesus all day long. But if I never personally pick up my cross and follow after him, I can never have the same relationship. Just because you are a witness of his power does not mean you know his power. does not mean that you've accepted his power in your life. Another thing interesting here is this demon was trying to play into the fact that there was um there was some supernatural like taboo-ness, some superstition that someone could control you so in this day and age there was a superstition that someone could control you if they knew your full name And so as much as this demon was making it understood to Jesus that he knew who he was, he was trying to play into the fears of the people around. Oh no, they know his name. Jesus wasn't affected at all. And then after that, he says, I beg you don't torment me. Because it said Jesus was moving him out of the house he was living in, which was that man. And the tormenting came because he would have to be removed from that place. There was an eviction notice and it wasn't 30 days. He commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. And it doesn't talk about how the the, the spirit came out of him right here. And I think it's interesting because it, it goes on to let you understand the context of how crazy this guy was, how strong he was, that he'd be breaking shackles, that he'd be chained and restrained, and that he couldn't even be restrained by the guards and by multiple men. It was a display of how easily God could command that powerful person to move, and he would move. To jump, and he would jump. This is a good comparison of how infinite God's power is compared to the power of the devil, of the evil one, of demons. In Mark 5 5, when it talks about him cutting himself with stones, I want to tackle that a little bit. So, this man is naked, living amongst the dead, often shackled, unclean, unkept, howling in pain, trying to mar his body. And no matter what everybody did, It wasn't helping at all. I want to focus in on that idea that he was cutting himself with stones. This exposes the devil and demons of something here. It exposes the fact that demons hate the image of God. Because you are a image bearer. You were created in the image of God. So just like when people get mad at a nation, they burn flags because it represents that nation. You are a representation of God. And those demons are seeking to destroy that temple, to destroy that image because they hate it and it stands for their destruction it is a reminder of who they once served and who they now serve and how they have already lost and that their path leads to an utter demise i find it telling that when powers of darkness are at work there is a mutilation of the body involved there is often an attempt to destroy the image in which God created you. Imagine all the ways this happens in society today. Imagine all the ways that people mutilate their bodies. Imagine all the ways we try to destroy the image in which we are created. Imagine all the ways this happens in society today. Because there are numerous ways. I don't find it by happenstance. I don't find it by accident. I think that the spirit of this age, I think the powers of evil... And death would love to see you marring the image of God. Trying to destroy your body. Your body is a temple. And not because of anything you do. But because of the image you display. You're created in his image. In verse 30, what is your name? Jesus asked him. Legion, he said, because many demons had entered him and they begged him not to banish them to the abyss. Uh, I love this because Jesus is doing something here that's pretty culturally relevant. And during this day and age, they thought in order to exercise a demon from someone, to get a demon out of someone who was possessed, they thought that you had to know the name of the demon. So Jesus is playing into the understanding of their practices at the time. I don't think in any way, shape, or form Jesus needed another name. I think he did so, though, to really allow the people to understand what he was doing. To allow them in on understanding the gravity of the situation. I also think he did this to show the power of how many demons were inside this man. That this wasn't just a one-on-one fight, so to speak. The demon replies back, his name is Legion, he said, because many demons had entered him, they begged him not to banish them to the abyss. He uses the word Legion, which is interesting. I don't think that was the name of the demon. What I think is the demon was trying a scare tactic because there were about 6,000 soldiers in a Roman Legion. And I think that the demon was making a spectacle for the crowd so that they would shudder in fear. I think he was trying to make a shudder. He was making one last contrite attempt To scare Jesus off. Was there 6,000 spirits? I don't know. But there were definitely a lot. And we can see this by the context of them being cast into the pigs and that whole herd, a large herd, running into the water. Why would the demon say this? I really do believe it was an attempt to strike fear that he thought that he could strike fear by showing that Jesus was overwhelmed by the number, that he was outmatched and outnumbered. And I think that this ploy is used often now. I think this ploy is used in this day and age to make you think that you're outmatched by society, that you should turn tail and run away, That you should abandon your beliefs because no one believes those archaic things anymore. That you should abandon the principles that you stand for. That you should fall into the X, Y, and Z sin because everybody else accepts it. It is a ploy the devil has been using for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. I'm going to overwhelm you with numbers. That he's going to outmatch, show you that you're outmatched, that you're outnumbered, that you're all alone. And he uses this ploy to make you forget the truth in which you stand for. The fight's coming. Be ready. The devil's using the same tricks. Be ready. He seeks to destroy the image in which you bear. Be ready. The second part of that verse where it says, and begged him not to banish them to the abyss. This word isn't used that often, but it's used a few times. And one of those times is in the book of Revelation, which is once again telling The demons understand what's going to happen. They already know the plan. They already understand that they're powerless against God. They're just hoping to snag as many as possible to create as much chaos as possible. And you can see that again as they're just willing to go into a herd of pigs and kill them. That when they don't have a human host, they're willing to just jump into an animal. This is important because they understand that they're already destined to the abyss. And they beg the Lord not to send them there now. Now, God did not not send them there because he thought it would be a kind thing to do for them. That's that's not why that happened. There's much more uh, indicative things that we'll take a look at. And just because the demons know that that's their eventual heading, they didn't want it to be now. They wanted to be able to use the sin of humans as a playground for longer. They weren't excited about the fact that this might be their end. In verse 32, it says a large herd of pigs was there feeding on the hillside. The demons begged him to permit them to enter the pigs and he gave them permission. The demons came out of the man and had entered the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the men who tended them saw what had happened, they ran off and reported it in town and in the countryside. I had a little bit of a hard time understanding this exactly, rereading it why would Jesus give them permission, right? Why wouldn't he just send them into the abyss? And so I had to take some time and really understand why this would happen. I think there's two things here. I think Jesus gave them permission as a visible sign of his power. Also, he gave them permission as a visible sign of the miracle he had performed in the man. And so as they said, look at our numbers. Look, we outmatch you. We are overwhelmingly bigger than you. Jesus said, oh, really? And to show every single person that what they said was true and it mattered not in the most significant way. It mattered none. He showed them the number of the demons by sending them into the pigs and watching them go off. And this was important because not everyone was there. There was the herdsmen who were herding that large number of pigs who went into the city and told everybody what was happening. And then those people came. And so those pigs' death were assigned to what had happened. In no way, shape, or form, could these herdsmen have herded these pigs down a hill and made them drown? Like, that's just not going to happen. They're going to swim away. They're going to try to fight. Like, it just wouldn't happen like that. These people would have understood that this behavior was weird. They would have seen the man standing before them and been, oh, something significant happened here. And I believe that that sign was once again a sign to the glory of God and the power that he had over death. The power that he had over Those which seek to destroy you. It was to stamp the miracle that God had performed. In verse thirty-five, then people went out to see what had had happened. They came to Jesus and found the man had uh, the man the demons had departed from, sitting at Jesus's feet, dressed and in his right mind. He's dressed now, ladies and gentlemen. Let's give it up for the men. Come on. Let's get some hype in the chat. Put some clothes on. But more so, he's in his right mind that in a second, Jesus took someone that was absolutely bat crazy, nuts, off his kilter, and in a moment, corrected his mind. Those clothes were an outward sign. That oh wait, maybe Bob's maybe Bob's normal. Maybe, maybe something happened in Bob because I haven't seen this man in clothes in years. <laughs> By the way, Chad, keep your clothes on. It's good for you. They came and they found him sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed in his right mind. And they were afraid. It doesn't say that they were afraid when he was a lunatic, cutting himself, screaming out in terror, needing to be chained down so he wouldn't run off into the wilderness. They weren't scared when he would want to live among the dead. They weren't scared when he would do all of these other things. They were scared when they saw him right. Because they had an understanding that whoever freed this man must have been far more powerful than the destructive behavior that they saw. And that power it scared them because they thought that that demon possessed man was already so powerful he was finite a little blip in comparison to god's infinite power meanwhile the eyewitnesses reported to them how the demon possessed man was delivered then all the people of the Garrison region asked him to leave them because they were gripped by great fear. So getting into the boat, Jesus returned. Jesus talks about this often. If he's not wanted somewhere, he's not going to stay. He actually tells the apostles, the disciples, to kick off the dirt from their feet and move on. If someone rejects you, There's a powerful message that you have, Christian. That you have the responsibility to steward well. And when people aren't receiving it, move on. Move on. Jesus never once feared. Everybody else was captivated and in awe. He never feared. The same power that lives with him lives within you and when people see change in you when they see you go from crazy to in right mind when they see you go from sinful behavior to free so many people will meet you with the same exact regard they're going to be in fear That's not who you always were. That's not, that's not, that's not the guy I know. And that's why it's so hard to go back to the same people and go back to the same way, ways that these people lived, because when you're changed by God, it makes people question what happened. When God frees people like he freed this demon-possessed man, when he frees you from all the sin that you've been living in and you start to live righteously, people will be skeptical. People will have fear because they're fear, they have fear for what is not known. It was easy because they understood that the behavior of the demon-possessed man was predictable. They had seen it for years. It was okay. Like they, 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 they could, they could understand it. They could build their lives around it. But when there is great change, when there is great change in you, people will be scared. They will be skeptical. They will be unsure. Don't let that scare you. Don't let that change. You don't let that be the temptation that leads you back into the life of sin. The man whom the demons had departed begged him earnestly to be with him. But he sent him away and said, go back to your home and tell all that God has done for you. And off he went, proclaiming throughout the town how much Jesus had done for him. I love that. I ain't going to lie. I aspire to that. I aspire to be so in love with God. I inspire, aspire to be so, is so, desire so much to be with God that he's like, all right, you got to go. Like, <laughs> It's time to like, go get something done. Like, no, no, I understand your love, TJ, but, but, but it's time to actually go do something. I'll be like, but God, I'm just, I'm here with you. He's like, no, 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 you got to go. I want to be that in love with God. And when he left jesus knew it was so important because he had a message in him he had a testimony a witness of such a great powerful act of god and what it looks like to go from dead in your sin to alive in your freedom So there's so much in this scripture verse. There's so much to break down in these verses about, you know, this whole thing. But there's some questions that are often asked to me. And I want to hit those because I think they're important. Often it's asked, can a Christian be demon possessed? The simple answer is no. It's that simple. And I'm going to break that down a little bit, like to be demon possessed means that you have a demon living within you. And if that's the case and you're a Christian, the thing that doesn't make sense is you cannot also have the Holy Spirit living in you, right? The Holy Spirit cannot share the same space as a demon and this is put in other ways in the bible as no one can have two masters it can't happen and so if you are a christian no i do not believe that you can be demon possessed now do i think that you could ask a demon to come in you do i think that you could? ask and and give yourself over to the devil yes 100 but at that point i believe you are abandoning the work that christ has done in you i do believe that you have a free will and that you can walk away that is the only way but then you wouldn't be a christian so the simple answer is christians cannot be demon possessed period point blank you got my answer i hope you understand it i hope some of this broke that down of why it's such an important thing but hear this christians can and will be tempted to be led astray they'll be tempted to sin you see this in jesus's walk when he's tempted by the devil himself you will be tempted and I do think that the, the concern is very real in understanding uh, about this idea of, of demons. Because if you believe in the supernatural, right? If I'm, I'm going to believe in Jesus, well, then I have to believe in the whole story. In commissioning the apostles to spread the good news, Jesus specifically gave the apostles and the other disciples authority to drive out all demons in Luke 9.1. And where we get the understanding that you can't be possessed by it because the Holy Spirit abides in you it is in Second Corinthians 1 22. And the truth of the matter is, is there's a clear way to thwart off the the the, the effects or the the attempts of the devil to lure you into sin. And namely, it comes by living in an obedience to Scripture. The Bible assures us that if we submit to God and resist evil, the devil and his demons will uh, flee from us. That's in James 4, 7 and Luke 10, 17. But one way we can submit to God and and defend off the wicked temptations of Satan and his demons is by putting on the full armor of God. I told you I'd give you the equipment. I hope you're here to hear it. In Ephesians 6, 11 through 18, the full armor of God consists. The belt of truth in Ephesians 6, 14. Jesus told us that God's word is truth and that we are sanctified by it. Since the devil is the father of lies and the demons act in his name, we combat these lies and these corrupt forces by arming ourselves with the knowledge of god's truth you have to understand his truth so you have the belt of truth you have the breastplate of righteousness in ephesians 6:14. when we align our actions with scriptural instruction we maintain our righteousness this moral obedience is powerful guarding our heart against situations that m- might hurt us in the long run or lead us to hurt others. You see that in Proverbs 4, 23. When we become lax in holding up our righteous behavior, we open the door for sin to creep in. The gospel of peace is another piece of equipment. When we're at peace, we're free from disturbance and conflict. By practicing forgiveness with one another and placing our worries at the foot of the cross, we are better better able to stand firm against any evil that comes our way. You have the shield of faith. Where's Pastor AJ at? He loves his shields. The shield of faith, Ephesians 6.16. When we seek God's face in our life instead of his hand, we grow in faith and better shield ourselves from the attack of dark forces. The face of God represents his presence, seeking his face. God assures us that when we continually seek his presence in our life, despite our circumstances, everything we need will be given to us. You see that in Matthew 6:31 through 33. The helmet of salvation in Ephesians 6:17. A helmet is the last thing soldiers put on before stepping onto out onto the battlefield. The helmet protects protects the command center and that is the mind. Or the head if the command center gets injured all of the, of the armor all of the other armor of the soldier and body becomes useless likewise demon forces know that our mind is a battlefield susceptible to sinful suggestions doubt and deceit and when we focus on our thoughts thoughts on that of our salvation that jesus gave us through his crucifixion and his resurrection we demolish the arguments arguments against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ last but not least I equip you with the sword of the spirit and that's in Ephesians 6 17 in ancient battle a soldier was trained to use the sword not only defensively but also offensively to injure the enemy The sword we as the faithful must learn how to wield in spiritual battle is the sword of God's word. In Hebrews 4.12, it talks about that, which is inspired by the Holy Spirit. You can see that in 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. The sword of the spirit defends us by sharpening our mind against the enemy's misrepresentation of scripture. This sword also works offensively to rebuke and correct the enemy in striking back with our own scriptural blows when attacked. You can see that in Luke 4, 1 through 13. You have to stay equipped. You have to stay sharp. Because if you're living your life in such a way with these things clothing you, understanding that the most important of all is to pursue after God, to understand that that surrender means you are saved. That's how you thwart against the attacks of the enemy. You might be sitting here and being like, and I don't believe in Jesus. And I'm not trying to scare you, I'm just trying to tell you what I believe to be the truth and what I believe the Bible says. If you don't believe in Jesus, you have no equipment. You have no way to stand against the enemy. There is nothing you can do. And the truth is, is we have a choice. We either serve God or we don't. And God is gracious enough to bring us back when we don't. But the truth is, if you're not serving God, you're serving the devil. You are serving evil and you'd be like, no daylight, man, trust me. I don't serve the devil, but I just don't believe in God. What I'm telling you that is if you do not serve God, you serve the devil, you serve the world. That is exactly who commands that space. That if you are not following under the command of God, you are falling under the command of Satan. There is only two ways. No matter what that devil looks like, you can fill in any name. Oh no, I actually believe in this religion or I believe in this or I believe in th-. it does not matter. It all falls under the same umbrella. It is that which is not of God. Whether you realize it or not, you have a king whether you've named him or not. You have a king that you let reign in your soul. You're fighting against a spiritual war. Ephesians 6.12, it says, For we do not fight against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over his present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil, There is a war being raged for you. Fortunately, Jesus already has the victory. He actually took that victory when he went on the cross. And I believe it's in Colossians, where it talks about Jesus triumphed over and stopped the power of the enemy in that moment. In terms of his effect his ability to have victory this isn't like a good versus evil type of deal like where you think oh there's just these great powers and they're waging which is true but there's one that's already won it's already been written and it's already been revealed by even the other side that they understand they've lost This is not like I'm gonna take up my, my coat of arms for the devil, or I'm gonna take up my coat of arms. No, that's not how it works. There is a winning side and a losing side. It's already been determined, but you do serve one of those sides. And why it matters is because you have value. And you simply have value and you are simply loved because you are his that in the end you are god's he did create you jesus did die for you i had a hard time understanding my value for a really long time i really did And then I started to understand the gospel to the depth that if God was willing to send his own son for me, because he cared for me so much, that he was willing to leave the 99 and go in search for me, that I obviously have value. And it's reinforced by the fact that there is another side that is fighting for you. It's fighting to tempt you, to pull you away from God, meaning that you have value. Don't you think you might be worth something? If there's a devil who's trying to steal you and a God who wants you? You have value, you're worth something. So you have to protect that value with that equipment, with that armor, with that sword, with that truth. It's an important battle that needs to be fought. And it's real, Christian. It's real. I hope that you feel equipped I hope that the Lord has opened your eyes to some things. Maybe you didn't even realize in your own life. I know this was difficult, maybe for some of you to grasp. But my hope is that you just understand that this entire sermon is to reveal to you that you have the ability to serve a powerful God. His name is Jesus. And he loves you. And he's given you the equipment you need to win the battles of life. If no one told they love you today, we here at God Squad Church, and I love you with my whole heart. Talk to you soon.
1: What an amazing message that Pastor Daylight just gave to us uh, just now. Um, as he was going through it i think one of the most powerful things that i was listening to is the fact that there is no in between of serving right you can't serve uh you're either serving jesus or you're serving satan right there's no in between there no matter what it is a part of the world whether you're serving money your job even your family your spouse right (laughs) serving those things and putting your 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 heart like obviously you need to need to um you need to take care of things in life obviously but serving them is a big deal. And so serving Jesus and the fact that when we do serve Jesus, we can put on that equipment. We, we have the shield of faith, right? We, we have the gospel shoes. We have the belt of truth. We have the entire armor of God to be able to put on every single day of our lives to be able to protect us every single day. And so I hope that, um, I hope that, you guys got a lot out of it today i hope that it, it maybe maybe some of you maybe your relationship with jesus right now is just not that strong maybe it's something where you you've you've been kind of uh, what's a good word for it? For it? My, I had an old pastor, he used to say waffling, right? Going back and forth between different things. Maybe you, maybe your, your, your relationship with Jesus lately though hasn't been all that strong. You're realizing there's certain things that you've been serving other than Jesus. You've been allowing some, you know, you've been allowing the enemy to get a foothold in your life in certain areas and that happens. But hey, I wanna let you know that no matter at whatever time, Pastor Daylight explained this as well, Jesus is always there. He's always there waiting for you to come back and so maybe you listened to this message today, and maybe this was the first time that you heard about the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the fact that he came to this earth, that he lived a perfect and pure life, that he died on the cross for you, and that he rose from the dead. And maybe this is the first time that you heard about this love and this peace and the fact that you can put on this armor. Hey, we want to, we want to celebrate with you. If you gave your heart to Jesus today, and that—that's all. that's as simple as it is, it's surrendering your life to Jesus. There's nothing that you can do. There's nothing that there's no righteousness that you, no righteous like peak that you need to hit not to get everything right in your life to come to know him. The greatest thing about salvation with Jesus is that it's not on our side. That debt has already been paid for you by Jesus. And all you need to do is you just need to surrender your life to him. And so if you did that today or maybe you rededicate your life, like I said before, you had you had this time in your life where you were you were not so strong in your faith. You've been through going through this season where you've been serving something other than God. Hey, maybe you wanted to rededicate your life today and we want to celebrate with you as well. So if you did rededicate your life or if you gave your life to Jesus for the first time today, hey, like like I said, congratulations, we want to celebrate with you. And if you did do that today, I would I would actually encourage you to do something because We want to walk on this journey with you. So if you made that decision today, uh, if somebody can type exclamation point connect in the chat, just fill out that form. We want to be able to pray for you. We want to be able to walk with you on this, on this journey. It's an absolutely amazing, amazing journey um, that, that, that you are beginning on and you might have questions and we want to connect with you. We want to talk with you. We want to work through those questions. We don't want to spam you with emails or anything like that, but we want to walk with you on this journey. So definitely fill out that form and, because like I said, it, it, you might have questions and we want to walk on that journey. It's not just like, hey, I made this decision and that's the end of it. No, there's a lot more that goes into it and we want to be able to help you on that on that walk. And so congratulations to those of you once again that just accepted Jesus Christ into into your life. And if you did do that, hey, maybe you want maybe you've been hearing about baptism, we have baptism classes. So fill out the baptism form put exclamation point, uh, baptism in the chat, if you're interested in getting baptized, we would love to be able to go through that process with you. And also, uh, which we actually are starting today. Maybe you're considering becoming a partner of God Squad Church. Partnership is just another word that we use for membership. It's it, that's the, the word that you would you, you would see in other churches. And so we have our partnership classes starting today called the XP Path. Right after church, about 15 minutes after, 10 to 15 minutes after, we're going to be starting that class So definitely jump into the Discord and sign up for it. You need to register for it to be able to be a part of that class. So if you want to be a part of that, you can register for that. Uh, We're going to be starting the first week of our classes today, which I'm super, super excited about. Um, But right now, guys, we're going to go into a time of giving and offering, and so really if this is your first time here at God Squad Church hey we don't want anything from you but we want everything for you and i want to let you know that giving is it's a powerful thing honestly uh it is a way that we can worship god i think that it can be at a lot of times a test of our faith a test of um, how much we are willing to sacrifice as well at times, and the fact of the matter is, the Bible talks about giving. Right? God doesn't need our money, right? It's just green paper for us, but for God, He doesn't. He doesn't need our money and, but the but the fact of the matter is is for us that is a necessity in our lives and what the bible talks about when we're giving we're giving sacrificially it says that god is going to continue to bless you he's going to provide for you that he's actually not just going to bless you but that he's going to bless you abundantly and in the bible he even says test me in this test me in this that if you give i'm going to provide for you and i'm going to bless you abundantly and so we believe here at God Squad Church in giving. And so if you call God Squad Church your home church, hey, I wanna challenge you and encourage you to give out of faithfulness and to give with a, with a glad heart as well. The Bible talks about giving with a glad heart, not giving where you're kind of trying to hold back your money, right? Giving with a glad heart, knowing and expecting that God is gonna do something great with what you are giving. When you give, it allows us to do everything that we do here at God Squad Church, from our services to our conventions that we have to all the different things like the XP groups that we have, the small groups. It, everything that we do here at God Squad Church, it's because of your faithfulness and generosity. And so I wanted to thank you once again for your faithfulness and generosity. If you are giving, there's multiple secure, uh, safe and secure ways that you can give to God Squad Church. You can go into the panels below and click on the give link. Somebody wants to put, oh, it's already in there, exclamation point, give. Look look at that. Um, you can use that as well. Uh, you can go to our website at Godsquadchurch.comslash give. That will allow you to give recurring monthly or weekly givings, um, as well as just a one-time donation if that's what you feel called to do. And then finally, you can also use text to give by texting uh, any amount to number 84321. The first time that you do it it's going to go through a couple of different processes uh to get you set up on there it takes like a like 30 seconds to a minute or something like that but if you're a u.s resident you can text any amount to number eight four three two one but once again i want to thank you for your faithfulness and your generosity as well um every penny counts. so thank you very much you guys